creativity. <laughs> the podcast that keeps going. It goes around and around and around like a record. Like a tape loop. Tape loop? It could do that. Real to real. Yeah. It could do that. All sorts of audio circles. <laughs> Which is appropriate. It is very appropriate. We, we are at Sound and Vision Vinyl in South Salt Lake, one of my new favorite places. For Christmas, I got myself a record player and discovered this place, mostly because it's the closest one to my house. <laughs> uh, I'm glad it was, though. We'd like to welcome Mike. Uh, how, how do you say your last name? Is it Macaroon like a, the cookie? It's or? Macaroon, yeah. Macaroon. Yeah, yeah, like the cookie. Because I, I discovered there were two different cookies. There's macaroons and there's macarons. I always thought Which they were the do you like thing. better? I actually never liked them. I'm the only Sicilian New Yorker in the world who doesn't eat cannolis. But I had a macaron cookie that was passion fruit that I'm just like, I'm dreaming about it right now. Sorry. Sorry I reminded you of that. Sorry. Sorry. I'm Italian. But you're not a fan of the macarons. I'm a fan of everyone. I don't hate anyone. I love everybody. (laughs) We need a visual on what my face looked like, but that's okay. (laughs) I know we need like a a vlog or something. a so, video. Yeah, someday we'll, we'll get a VO camera for, for this thing. You know, like an artist sketch, like, uh, I don't know, like, you know, the murderers or the rapist one, or you get the artist sketch doing the interview. <laughs> yeah. No, see, I don't know where I'm wanted. So it's probably better that we don't, like, we don't do that. Don't illustrate me. This is true. I understand that. <laughs> we won't talk about past. Uh, I don't either, but it's completely for different reasons. I don't know where I'm wanted. Anyway. <laughs> So, Mike, how long have you had this record store here, Sound of Vision Vinyl? We opened up on October 16th, 2015. Uh, what what led you to open a shop here in Salt Lake? You, you're not from here. Uh, no, I'm from Long Island, New York. Uh, I lived there for over 50 years. Thought I was going to live and die in New York. Never expected to live anywhere else in my life. I hope to visit some places, but... Somehow I made a wrong turn in New Jersey and ended up in Utah. Did you die? If I and, and, did, and, 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 it's, is, is it's, this your hell? Man, is it, Salt this, Lake is your hell. This is the greatest heaven on earth that could ever be. It's I live a dream right now. I am with the most beautiful person in my life. I have the dream job. My world is fantastic. You know. You want to bring in Paul McCartney into the house and Johnny Rotten and Ringo Starr will have dinner one night? I think it will make the world a little bit better. Okay. That's, that's a good it. That's a good dinner. I what want a, in on that invite. Be interesting as all hell. Come on, imagine that one. <laughs> so um, back when you were a kid, uh, you were jealous of your dad's music collection and uh, you saw the Beatles on TV. Those are, That was kind of the sparking point of your... Music interest? My earliest memories. I remember my parents had a three-bedroom apartment as a child. And I'm talking about when I was around four years old, three years old. They, my dad had a, it was a separate bedroom, and there was a record player in there, one of the old-school ones that are like a briefcase where you flip the lid and the record player was built in with a speaker. And I would go and I would play my dad's records. My dad was... 16 years old, 15 years old, when he bought his first 45, which was Elvis Presley, Don't Be Cruel. So I had all of his 45s he had as a teenager. And it was Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran. The first time I heard Barbara Ann wasn't by the Beach Boys, it was by the Regents, which was the original version of that song. 
I remember that, and I remember in February of 64 watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. We were at my Irish grandparents' house, and my mother and my grandmother and my Aunt Patty were all sitting there and looking at the TV, watching these, these four guys, and I sat there, and I was mesmerized by it, and I pointed at the TV and said, I want to be a Beatle. That was pretty much the beginning of the end with everything. It really, it started as a young child. Everything in my life, you can ask anybody who ever knew me in school, it was always, if I said something a common in class, I always related it to a Beatlesque historic reference or something along those terms. I've always, that's been the fire that's been under my ass my whole life. It's a big, um, John's a big inspiration to me. I've named my, my business and my son after him. And um, if we have future kids, future kids. So they're, they're just an incredible group of guys. They were four very unique personalities who, I don't know what it would have been like if they had not have come along because what we know now as far as music, environment, culture, I don't think it would be the way it is today because they really kind of, they looked at what was going on in the world and acted like a mirror and reflected what they saw and a lot of people were able to associate with how they saw things. You know, I think that uh, I don't think we would ever see that again. You know, they've done things that no one's ever going to be able to meet. Very true. H have you seen the trailer for that new movie coming out yesterday? That looks so incredible, and it's the first time that I'm seeing something that's fresh. Because how many times can we rewrite Shakespeare? You know, every right. other movie, it's like, oh, that's Romeo and Juliet done for the you know, billion time, but this is like, that's an interesting take. What if the Beatles never existed? I'm, I'm waiting to see, because I'm dying to see the end, to see, you know, yeah. those two boys show it, up on stage. Yeah, the, the, the trailer where it's two guys at the top of the stairs, yeah. it's like, whoa. And, and Danny Boyle just does an amazing job with any movie he's involved with. Okay, so was Paul McCartney the real Paul McCartney? <laughs> I mean, where's your stand on the conspiracy theory there? I'm going to be very honest. If that is not the real Paul, then my first concert was a total letdown because I saw Paul McCartney in Wings back in 75, 76 when I was 13 years old. Wow. There was nothing like that. And to be honest, when he came out and he played yesterday, before he even said the word, I, he, hit the, he hit the first guitar string. And I knew what song it was. I had tears just running down my face. And I, I, I just did not understand why. And it's just an emotional thing. I guess it's in most people's DNA that that song will do that for them. But that was amazing. Better be Paul. Because I've, I've spent, how much did we spend the last time we saw Paul? So, hundreds? <laughs> well, either the real Paul or the fake Paul will, will love you. They, they both love you. Paul, well, Paul lives on Long Island. He better love me. I mean, you know, he's been living on my island for the last 40 years. I understand he's supposedly the people in the town he lives in there on the island. Treat him like a regular guy. He's like, where's Paul? Just leave him alone. He's a nice guy. He's one of us. Someday it'll happen. I saw him when he came here to uh, Rio Tinto, and that was just an amazing show. Live and let die with the the fireworks and just I, I hope he comes again well that was I, incredible I know he's coming down to Vegas they just had the second show I'm sure he'll come here Paul's been on an ever a never-ending tour since he was married to Heather Mills 
I don't know if it's got anything to do with it, but I know that Pam went to go and see Rio Tinto, and she had never seen Paul, and I was like, go, go, you have to go, take your, your boy, she has, she had two teenagers, what were they, about 12 and 16 then? Um, they pissed and moaned the whole time going there, why do we have to go, blah, 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 blah. She told me the whole car ride home, they were singing Beatles songs. I can't believe he did that song, and he was the one who was in that <laughs> band who did that. You know, Paul's incredible. Paul is the Sinatra of this generation. That's the easiest way to put it, probably. Hopefully better than Sinatra. So you mentioned your beautiful partner in your, your introductory part. How, how did you meet her? We met in a punk rock bar in New York called Legs on Long Island in a town called Valley Stream in 1980. I was very fortunate that somebody that I knew actually knew her and introduced me to her. The stars and the universe somehow have always watched over me. As I said, I'm a very lucky guy. That's awesome. And so, did you like set a spell on her, or like, I mean, how did you win her over? Yeah, how did you win this this her over? I don't even know how I won you over. I'm a I'm a lucky bastard. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, you want that whole story? Oh yeah, I want that story. <laughs> I mean, I need help. Come on, give me help. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. Here's 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 the movie. Okay. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> we used to see each other every night. Well, the first night I met her, she came over. She's like, a friend of hers is like, Pam. This is Michael. Michael. This is Pam. She comes over and gives me a kiss, hello on the lips, and I'm like, wow. This is a very open, loving person. Because most people, you're lucky to get a handshake. That's as close as you get to somebody's personal space. Whenever I would see her in the club, she'd come over and say hi, and I pick her up in the air, because I'm a big, tall, doofy guy, and, you know, her legs would be swinging in the air, we'd give her a kiss, hello. One night, the kiss lasted for about a minute, and the two of us are, like, looking at each other, kind of stunned, and I'm waiting for her to react, and she's just kind of like, uh, I gotta go in the back. Didn't realize she got a boyfriend, but that's because she was just kind of like, I better get back there before I get in trouble. <laughs> Never talked about it for 40 years. 30 years, whatever, and we reconnected on Facebook after losing touch for about 15 years, and I had mentioned the kiss, and she's like, oh, I remember that. Kind of like I was in a fog. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't see the lights or hear the music. I was like, well, it's kind of how I felt. And she had to go to New York to see her dad, and we got together, and we just kind of knew we were supposed to be together. And that's you how did cast a spell. That takes a lot of talent. That's amazing. No, he only picked up you. I tried. When she told me that, I was kind of like, huh? Me? What? <laughs> yeah. I, I was always the guy who was in the shadows against the wall, lurking, had a cigarette in one hand and a Coca-Cola in the other. You know, that was it. You'd only see me in in the lights if like a good song actually came on in the club. And you I see your silhouette. Known. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny because when I first started going there, I looked like one of the Ramones. I mean, I'm I could totally show you pictures, and the hair is halfway down the back. And I had gotten a really bad haircut one day, so I went and I got it all chopped off, where the hair was maybe an inch long from my scalp. And I stood in that club for about an hour at my usual spot. My friends kept walking by, kind of looking, and they keep walking. And finally, somebody had the balls and came 
Mike? Yeah. Holy shit, didn't realize it was you. Like, it took you long enough. <laughs> nah, you didn't even come see me when I played in bands. The hell with that. <laughs> so between uh, the Beatles on TV and the record store now, um, tell us about your history in uh, running uh, record stores back east. It's weird because the Beatles really do play a pivotal role in everything. Okay, as I was saying, I was a massive Beatles collector. Okay, I had business cards. I was collecting whatever I could get my hands on. And by age 12, 13, I had things that people in their 30s who have been collecting for since the Beatles had been around, serious collectors, adults, who looked at me going, how did you want that? How did you get that? And I'm like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had won this one Beatles thing in a contest, and I had to go to a certain record store in Long Island to get the prize. And I walk in, I'm meeting this young guy in the late 20s, and he's like, oh, you're a collector. Have you ever seen picture sleeves? Have you seen imports? Have you seen bootlegs? And I'm, I was like, huh? I became a sponge, and everything was wet around me, and I wanted to absorb it all. And I started to discover about things that were out of print, collector's items, and that's really when I started to become very serious with things. The store was a very dinky hole in the wall. Most people didn't go in because it was kind of scary. It was a collector's store. There's a lot of weirdos and freaks. And we're talking 74, 75. So freaks and weirdos really scared people back then, especially in New York. He had a guy who worked with him who was the coolest person in the world. He was just off the wall. I mean, it was like this guy was on stage 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he knew about all these crazy artists and people and stuff. And one day... John Lennon had recorded a song with David Bowie, My Eyes, Some New Guy, a song called Fame. And I had bought it for the Beatles collection because it's part of the collection. And I'm really like, this song's pretty cool. Who is this David guy? So I asked his worker, I'm like, you collect this guy. What's the deal? He looks at me, he runs to the door, locks the door, runs to a rack, rams it out, puts it on the counter, says, you're not leaving until you buy this record. And it was David Bowie's Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. I sat in that record store until midnight that night. Until I finally said, okay, I'm going to buy it. I went home, I bought it, and I listened to it the next day. I had never heard anything like it. He had given me kind of a preface on what the record was about. Within the next five weeks, six weeks, I think I owned everything that record store had by David Bowie. And whenever I heard this guy's name was, was, his nickname was Nippo. Whenever I heard him talking about an artist, if there was a lot of exuberation and energy, the ears would ring. So I'd hear him talking about the Velvet Underground. I'm like, all right, tell me about that. Then Iggy and the Stooges, well, tell me about them. And he would tell me stories and stories. And 13-year-old kid, you're like, what happened on stage? He did what? Really? And, and, you know, and then the New York Dolls, and then there was this stuff happening in New York that was happening in the clubs. In New York. They would hang out at Max's Kansas City and CBGB's. They were always talking about these bands that they were hanging out with and seeing. I was in the store one day, and it was February of 76, and Nippo had said to somebody who was standing next to me, hey, I got the Ramones' first 45, and I got a couple of copies left. It's going to be out of print next week. I know it. Grab it now because it's going to be worth some bucks. I heard it. 
And I was in the row and I saw the Ramones 45s and I grabbed two of them, same copy. And I also saw a 45 on the same record company, Sire Records, it was by a band called the Flaming Groovies. And I'd heard Nippo talk about it. I was like, all right, grab that too. I go home, I put on the Flaming Groovies record. I'm like, oh, that sounds like Chuck Berry. It's okay, it's no big deal. Put on the Ramones 45. I've never heard anything like this in my life. It, it was... It was rock and roll the way rock and roll was supposed to be. It was like, to me, it was like that kid in the 1950s when they saw Elvis on, on TV and it was rock and roll. And it was, you knew your parents were going to go, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. It was amazing. And that started it. And I would go back in that store. And this store, before all the stores in Manhattan had all the punk stuff, they had it all. I bought the Pistols first 45 when it came out. Blondie. Day the, the album came out, I remember walking in and Nipple's going, you got to hear this. He put it on the record. I, before the fi first 15 seconds of the first song, I was like, dude, where is this? I need to own this record. This store is basically that store. It's my spin on it because I, I eventually worked and ran that store for 20 years. I had to run nine other record stores before I was able to get my foot in the door. The guy Nippo, after 20 years, decided to move out of state, and I took his position. So it was it's very cool. And I've had customers from that store come visit me here, and they walk in, they're like, dude, it's, this is a junior version of that place. This is awesome. It's, 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 I'm a lucky guy. I really am a lucky guy. And you, we can see it in your face. You're just like, you're very passionate about everything you're talking about, and it's just awesome. Who was your first concert, and how old were you? Paul McCartney and Wings, Wings Over America Tour, 1975. It was 13 or 14. had to be 13, because my birthday's in November. So I would have been 14 in November. I know it was during the summer. I think it was August. And what was your last concert? What was the last <laughs> show we saw? No, no. You made me go sit through Janet Jackson. Well, that was free tickets. That was just, uh, no, somebody, who was it? <laughs> uh, I honestly can't remember. It couldn't have been too impressive if I can't remember. The last one I remember, well, the last one, no, no, we saw. Wait, it could have been pretty amazing just depending on what you were on. Oh. I mean, so, I mean, so what? it could have been like pretty memorable. It just, it, my problem now is that I'm old and I'm cranky and I'm jaded. I get off of work. I work seven days a week. Yeah, you know, I don't work my ass off. It's a lot of mental work at times and also dealing with people. It's it take a bit out of you because everybody, you got to have a conversation. You got to remember stuff. I get home and I don't want to sit down and relax. I'm no longer at that point that I want to go stand in the bar and deal with a bunch of drunk idiots or have a situation. I don't want to deal with that when I was in my 20s or 30s. I'm almost 60 years old. I really don't want to deal with it. And most bands nowadays, if I saw them back in the day, I really don't want to see them now because it's not going to be anything close to what it was. And if I didn't see them, I almost don't want to see them now because then it takes away the the image in my head. Like, I've never seen Bob Dylan. I really would love to see Dylan. I know he played here a few months ago. I heard the show was fantastic, but I know that with him, it's not the voice anymore. He rearranged
change the songs. If I go to see a show, I kind of want it to be in my head the way it is. I, I, yeah. I'm very rigid with stuff. I, I'm not that flexible. So I'd rather go and say, you know what? I watched the video of the concert or I saw that on TV and that makes me happy. Is there any current group or artist that you kind of are blown away with now? like, Or that you see some something that has just never been seen before that the, you remind? Or just like a new group that does that? See, I, again, I'm jaded. I'm very closed-minded because I can't... I don't hear things anymore that really inspire me because I go and I go, well, they sound like this band. They sound like that band. The last person to come out who was new, and this is, I guess, 19 years ago, was a guy named Ike Riley that the world is still discovering. The guy's out of Chicago. He was in some punk bands in the 90s that are real collector's items, but he started doing solo stuff in 1990. You take, if you took Bob Dylan and made him 16 years old in 1977 and had him discover punk rock and then become Bob Dylan, that's who this guy is. And he's unbelievable. My I have customers in here who actually know him. I have a couple of customers that their relatives play in his band. And they're like, oh, we're going to figure out how to get Ike to come in. If, and not, you know, if not visit the store, play in the store. I mean, it's if you've never heard him, really listen to him. It will, you will absolutely love him. What's the most unique... This uh, record discovery that you found, like an, an out-of-print one or just kind of something that's obscure? One of the coolest things I ever came across was I had a guy come in the store in New York with a box of 78s. Typically, most 78 records throughout my career of working in record stores have been like, oh, yeah, somebody died. These were my moms and my grandmothers, and they found them in the house with cleaning them out, and it's a Caruso record or it's Doris Day or... Brad. No, excuse me? Brad. Well, Air no, no. Supply. Well, I'm talking 78s. I'm talking the 10 inches, the old, old ones oh, that Lord. were from like pre-1950. Okay? Most people don't care about because it's not that type of stuff. And you got to play it at 78 RPM. It's not good sound quality. And you know, a guy comes in one day and he's got a box of about 10 of them. I go, dude, I'll give you five bucks. He's happy as a pig and whatever. And <laughs> I'm like, this is cool. And my boss, the same guy at that store, comes running out of the back room, screaming at me, what the fuck are you doing with my money? Just here, take my money, throw it outside. Why the fuck are you buying 78s? This shit doesn't sell. Here, why don't you just take my key, close up the store, we'll go out of business now. <laughs> my, my boss was a little bit more emotional than I am, okay? I mean, I love him to death. Uh, seriously, he makes me look like a peanut. I'm like, Bruce, it's me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. He's like, it's shit. It's not. It's nothing. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I open it up. I pull out a record. And I go, look. And he looks. It's a record by a guy named Tom and Jerry. Now, I don't think the look on either of your face. Do you know who Tom and Jerry is in rock and roll history? No. No, I just know the cat and the mouse and the, well, the, the, the that's a good that's a good history because the cartoons <laughs> today suck. We know that. <laughs> Tom and Jerry was a record that came out in 1957 that was a top ten hit on the East Coast. Tom and Jerry were two high school kids out of Queens. Tom and Jerry were better known as Simon and Garfunkel. This was when they were 16, 17 years old. I sold that record to a collector in Japan for five hundred. 
my boss, who ended up getting half of that money, because we got a deal that I could take whatever I wanted out of the store, sell it, whatever I sold it for, we would split the profit down the middle. I came in, and I'm like, oh, by the way, I sold that record you told me you wanted. I said, what would you get for it, 15 bucks? Like, put out your hand. 50, 50, 50. His eyes keep getting bigger, <laughs> and I see a smile on his face. He's like, how much did you sell that for? And I'm like, 500 bucks. He's like, okay, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so that, that was one of the coolest things I ever came across. Well, we've had what's good, but to cover to me is very common nowadays. What? Who's your? How old is your youngest customer that comes in now? Four. You have a four-year-old customer. Cassidy, Lenny's Lenny's daughter is, is four or five. She's the one who sang Rock and Robin. Yeah, yeah, Cassidy. One of my customers, Len, who's actually in Afghanistan right now working comes in with his daughter, Cassidy, and she's a little rock and roller. Len sends me orders while he's away. I've, I've, I've got a couple of Joan Jet records on hold, paid for for her and other stuff. It's, it's, she's the coolest little kid in the world. Seriously. It's just, I can't wait to watch this kid grow up. And then we have That is amazing. Wow. Record store is wonderful because you can see so many different people and so many different varieties. And and to me, music, records have always been like a photo album. It's an emotional memory that I've attached to. And last night I had somebody in here, two new customers. The guy walked in the store. It's a husband and wife. I had a Randy's T-shirt on. I'm like, ah, okay. I'm under the gun here because I mean Randy's has been here forever. It's historical, it's legendary, and it's hard to to, to live up to somebody who's been like that because he's been a stationary thing. And I'm not trying to do anything other than what I do. But they come came in and they're talking and they're hanging out. And they're enjoying what they're going. And the door, uh, the the wife is sitting on the floor and she's like, "I got a crazy question to ask you. You don't have any Spike Jones, do you?" And I'm like, "As a matter of fact." I had one collectible album. I bought a collection that had a, an original pressing from the 50s that was in immaculate shape. And I handed it to her, and she's like, my dad, I remember my dad playing Spike Jones records when I was a kid. This is one of the ones he had. I can't believe you had this. They were, they were about to leave, and the husband's going, you get everything you want. She's like, I really like that Spike Jones record. It's like, it's the memory you had from your dad? Yeah. Go and grab it. You need to have that. She left with a huge smile on her face. It was very cool. You know, that's that's kind of what I enjoy. You're selling memories. I'm helping people find memories. I had somebody come into New York back uh, many years ago. A girl came in and she's like, she's like, listen, I've been to so many record stores. I'm looking for this one song. It's an emotional thing. I don't want to explain why, but. Nobody knows what it is, and all I know is, is, is the word pina colada. And I go, oh, it's the escape song by Rupert Holmes. <laughs> and she looks at me and don't ask why I knew. It's just I learned after a while. It's like, somebody comes in with that, that's the song you want. <laughs> so she looks at me, and I go over, and I grab the CD, and she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to open up, I'm going to play it for you, because I know it's the song. I put it on. God, it's a song, thank you. And... I give it to her. She's there, and I see 
a couple of little tears coming out of her eyes. I'm like, you okay? And she's like, no, you, you don't know how happy you made. Can I come and give you a hug? I'm like, yeah, it's, that's okay. I mean, you don't need to. It's like, no, I really want to because you don't understand how special this was. And afterwards, I'm like, wow, that was really cool. And, you know, it gave you a nice little feeling. Months later, I have an issue with one of my teeth. I had to, I was like Johnny Rotten my whole life. I ignored the dentist. I know way in hell am I going, okay? Had to go make an emergency. I call up this one place down from where I live. I walk in. Who's the receptionist? What, her? She looks at me and goes, I from the record store. From that moment onward, she took care of me like I was gold. I had an emergency. Sit down. I will call up every place and find out who I can get you in with right now, who takes your insurance. and All because of a damn song. It was incredible. You know, Music really, it's like oxygen for people. You need it to survive. I do. But don't look at me like that. Guys. <laughs> it's it, a good oxygen. It's great oxygen. I think I ramble too much sometimes. No, you're, you're totally fine. That's that's what this is for, to find out your your story and how... <laughs> but but actually, I think that's what the purpose of business or life is, is to sell the emotions. And the, I mean, you have an, an amazing passion about music and trying to share that with other people so that they get that same emotion. Well, that's people, what that's what you're in the business of doing. Some people, in, you know, get that, and I understand that. Some people are just like, I don't get it. It's weird for me because I've worked retail for so long, and I'm not a people person. Pam can tell you, <laughs> he doesn't want to be around anybody. He's miserable, blah blah blah. But I actually enjoy making and discovering relationships with new people and connecting with them. Just become my friends. I become part of their lives. I know what's going on. They know what's going on. It's 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 nice. It's it's it it really is. It's something I can't explain. I don't know how I fell in love with this, but at some point, it just all of a sudden I'm like, I'm really having a lot of fun doing this. It's a, it's something that I can. I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of anybody of anything. That I'm just doing the right thing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. One of the favorite jobs I've had was at Media Play. I did it off and on for about four or five years before it closed and whatnot. But yeah, those shifts, it was just so much fun, you know, because we'd have an older guy that worked there that knew the ins and outs about all sorts of music and younger guys my age that were very knowledgeable. So I was learning things all the time. And when, you know, that, that same thing, finding that particular thing that they're looking for and them lighting up. It's just an incredible feeling, and I I was sad when I didn't have that job anymore, and so I, I'm jealous of you that way. It's kind of weird. When I was a teenager, somebody read my cards. Somebody who was very intuitive, and they told me that I was put here to be a catalyst for people, to show them doors and help them open up doors or discover things that they weren't aware of. And I had one instance happen. I had a guy, like, I, I, let me try to explain this correctly. When I was running the last store in New York, I had customers who were coming in. They had been going there since they were little kids. Their dad was a customer. I met them when they were graduating high school, and they ended up having a band, getting signed by Sean Combs to his label back in the 90s. The album was recorded. It was produced.
produced by Mike Klink. It had a guy from Guns N' Roses, a guy from the Bangles, the two guys from Jellyfish on it. It was a power pop album that Sean Puffy, he never ended up releasing the album because he didn't know how to sell white boys selling rock and roll. That was what he told me. And if I played this for you right now, you would stand there and go, there's something wrong with Sean because he didn't need to do anything to sell this. They had a song on the Godzilla soundtrack that came out with, uh, what was it, Matthew Broderick was the star in that one, yeah. the early 90s yeah. one or whatever. They got a platinum record award for that. And they invited me to the ceremony when they got awarded it. Now, I'm hanging out backstage with them, and I knew the singer because his dad would come to the store, and he'd introduced me to the guitarist, Jimmy. And there was something about Jimmy that was always in the back of my head and I could never place it. And Jimmy comes up to me and he goes, I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I have nothing to do with this. All I did is sell you records when you come in the store with Mark. He's like, no, 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 no. You obviously don't remember me because I, I have a brain of a flea sometimes. He used to work for a distributor. I was managing a disco record store in the mid-'80s. And there was a distributor that we would get all of our records from. And there was a heavy metal kid who was our delivery person. He said, I came in the store one day and your bosses weren't around. You were playing the music you listened to, which wasn't disco. And I asked you about it because I had never heard it before. And it was, I was playing like the jam and Eddie and the Hot Rods, all this power pop type punk rock. And I started playing him different things. And he was like, wow, this is cool. I've never heard this stuff. He said, I went home that day. And I started researching that stuff. And I discovered that that was the music that was in my heart. That was something I never realized. Because I'd been listening to Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. And I enjoyed it. But it wasn't something that was inside my soul. You opened up that door. And that's what led to this band and to us being here right now. So you opened up and got me this platinum record award and I'm like eh, all I did was play music that's all I've ever done it's just it's it's weird you know because I that was the first time that I sat there I said wow okay maybe I did help somebody one time and that was what I was supposed to be here so for. he cut you in on commission no but they did offer me a platinum <laughs> record award just when it cost me 90 bucks and I never bothered to order it oh, well. now the gem lost to the world um through all those shops, did um, people come in and do signings and stuff like that? And who have been some of your favorites? Um, in the stores, the only store that was the uh, actually okay. I I worked for Record World for a couple of years. The Record World is now known as Fye. I worked management with them. In one of our stores, we had Judas Priest for an in-store that lasted for about. 65 seconds before we had to call the police in. Uh, we had a riot. We had to get the riot squad and the vans to get not only the band out of the mall, but to get us out of the mall. It was, it was a really bad, bad event. Um, and then when I ran the disco store, we had Debbie Gibson, which there's a photo behind the counter of me with Debbie. And, and I'm seeing Stacey Q. I'm seeing Debbie this summer. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. We actually did a cruise a couple of years ago, and she was one of the participants on the cruise. Yeah, she's coming with the new kids and Tiffany and... And Tiffany was part of it, too. We're, we're pretty excited. You're going to so, have fun. Have yeah, fun go it. on. <laughs> yeah, that, well, we had Reckless Eric play in the store. And actually, the, the couple I was talking about before, the wife had mentioned Reckless Eric 
because they were talking to each other. I go, oh, you know, last year he actually played 10 feet from where you're sitting. And she's like, huh, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I told her that we were friends with him, and he actually came and played here. And she just about wet her pants when I said that. So it was cool. It was very cool. How can people find you online or or if they're trying to find you? Uh, well, we're on Facebook, Sound and Vision Vinyl, LLC. We also have an Instagram account. There is a website, soundandvisionvinyl.com, but it's not an active website. But you can go on there and get a good idea of what we have in stock with some stuff and get an idea of what the store is about. I don't really, you know, I understand that, that the Internet and everything is, is the new modern technology, but I actually like meeting people and talking to people. I want to develop relationships. People ask if I sell on eBay and all that, and I'm like, I don't want to. I'd rather get to know people. I want to develop a relationship because back in New York, when I knew my 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 clients, who were my friends after a while, we just you know, even the people that we hated each other's guts in the beginning, at some point we turn around and go, dude, man, I really enjoy you. You're cool, you know. <laughs> I would always know. Okay, Drew listened to Zeppelin. I had Hank listening to ACDC, so if I saw something was coming out by a band, yo, man, I saw this is coming out, I know you love them, do you want me to put one of these off to the side, or do, which one do you want me to hold for you? And they're like, dude, you're taking care of me, you're watching out, I appreciate that. And I do that with everybody once I get to know them, because if I know what it is that means something to you, I'm the guy who's here to help you find it, you know, that's, that's part of why I'm here. How is the community here that that comes in? I am blown away by the welcome that I've gotten here. I have made such close friends of people, and I have customers who come and bring me gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I come home with stuff, and she looks at me, and she goes, what is that? And I go, so-and-so came in and gave this to me or gave this to us. And she's like, why do people like you? You know, you just... <laughs> I really am a cranky person, and I, and I tell people when they meet me, first I'm like, well, I'm an asshole. I have references. People just like cranky. But, you know, I tell customers back in New York would know they come in and I, like, all right, what happened? What did Bruce say to you today? Because they knew that it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was just something else set me off and put me in a mood, and until I let it go, I was going to be a cranky idiot. You know? And I joke, I'm like, listen, I'm, a, I'm an asshole, but Give me seriousness. You're looking for something. I'm here to help you. I'm an asshole with a heart. Unless if you're a dick. If you're a real <laughs> jerk. I, I, I don't, just don't have the energy for it. I'm sorry. What about cynical? Steve cynical. Is cynical okay? Cynical's fine. Okay. I'm an asshole too. So no, not always. <laughs> I actually, yesterday I, I had a, a guy and a girl come in. The guy had been in before. I knew the girl hadn't been in before. And the guy came in, and I started going through the spiel of, like, hey, welcome, I'm an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And she turned and goes, yeah, I know. Just fuck off. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I said, oh, I love you already. And she started cracking up, and the guy goes, I prepared her for you. <laughs> and it was, it, was, cause it was because they knew they could come in and act like they've known me forever and just relax and have fun. And that's kind of what it's supposed to be about. You know, I mean... <laughs> oh, okay, upcoming concerts. Do you have any anybody scheduled to play in here? Scheduled to play in here? Not at the moment, because things just happen at the time. I mean, I, I've always got an open door for any 
artists who want to come in here. Local people, I like them to come, you know, come and talk to me. Because I've got to worry, too, because I respect my neighbors. The neighbors. Because I don't want to bother them or whatever. But as far as major, you know, or semi-major, or used to be, has-beens who never were, I've got equipment here. I just do you want to walk in. And I've had some rock stars come in here and hang out. Because they I, either we knew mutual friends or like, dude, man, this is cool. We can just hang out and relax and we can just be normal. You know, I mean, I've always had that opening and we'll see what happens. I think the only thing we had scheduled, we were supposed to go see Martin Barr. He was supposed to play up at the Egyptian Theater in April. Martin was the original guitarist for Jethro Tull. One of our very good friends is very close friends with Martin and now, we bought tickets, and he's like, well, make sure you give my love to Martin. They're like, well, we're not going to meet him. Called me back four hours, hours later. He's like, oh, yeah, you're our meeting, Martin. Give him a hug for us. They went and they canceled the show. And I'm like, this sucks. I really wanted to, to meet Martin. I, Martin, from what I understand, is a really nice guy. He's got a million stories with rock and roll. We were just listening to something before of him playing with Paul McCartney. And this is just before Ian basically broke up Tull. And they were recording an album, and Martin's there, and Martin gets a phone call going, yeah, you've got, a, you've got an audition you've got to go to. But we can't tell you who it's for. And he goes, and he does the audition, and then he finds out it's for McCartney, and he goes back to Ian, and he's like, listen, I'm not going to be able to be in the studio for a couple of days. Well, why? I've got to go and record with Paul McCartney. Oh, 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 oh okay. It's just kind of like, but no more than three days, was, and he, then he, you got to be back. He was, he was really annoyed about it. He was kind of like, you know, he was like Ian really had, you know, really full of himself. But you know, I, I think that was the only thing we had planned. I don't know. So Mark, so he never got your hug. No, not yet. Not yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It'll I'm, happen. I'm kind of hope I would like him to come here and play, but I don't think that we're big enough to have him in. I really think that we would have people outside waiting. Yeah. Like, Block yeah. party. Someday. I don't want to deal with that. Come on, I could barely deal with this in here. <laughs> <laughs> Too much for me to deal with. What do you think of vinyl's significance in the music world as a whole currently? Vinyl never should have gone away, if that's what you're asking me. Basically, yeah. <laughs> the only reason why vinyl went away was because the record companies created the compact disc and the compact disc was not selling. And they went and they said, we're the letter, they sent a letter out to distributors who sent it to their buyers who said, we created this thing, it's not selling. And in order for people to buy it so we can make our money back, we're going to stop making vinyl. There was nothing wrong with vinyl. Now, the problem for me against digital versus vinyl, digital, I've had CDs that have evaporated. And I'm not talking about blank. I'm talking about store-bought, truly pressed DVDs that have gone blank. I've had computers where I've lost digital files that are just gone in cyberspace forever that I will never see again. But you know what? Every record that I ever owned, if I didn't scratch it or warp it or break it, that music never left that vinyl. That vinyl will live longer than I will if it's taken care of. A CD or a digital file, that's not going to stay. Yeah, uh, MySpace, they, they moved stuff on servers, and they lost millions of songs. Yeah. So, Download it yeah. to me. You don't own it. I mean, if you go 
and you say, hey, Michael, show me that, that copy of Sgt. Pepper that you have, I will go out and I will grab whatever copies I have, the mono, the stereo, I'll hand you the vinyl and go, here, this is the album I own. You have a digital copy on your file. Well, let me, you know, let me see it. Yeah, well, it's yeah. there. It's on my computer. Yeah, but hand it to me. It's not, it doesn't exist. It's not real. The record is real to a point. And if you take care of it, you will always have it. Everything else, digital, compact, this, blah, blah, blah. You can't control what's going to happen to that. That's out of your hands because it's never really in your hands. I'm a bit of an idiot. <laughs> People that have vinyls and want to take good care of them, do you have any pointers for them of how to store them and where to store them? And Don't scratch them. Don't walk them. Don't let your friends touch them. Handle <laughs> <laughs> with gloves. It, well, it's, it's, you know, I never let my friends touch my records. The only person in my world who was allowed to touch my records until Pam was my little brother. When my little brother was seven years old, I showed him how to use the stereo that was in the house, which was a, a Marantz 2270 receiver, a Technics SL something turntable, and um, they weren't Sermon Vegas. They were somebody else. Because they, they, weren't, they were really good speakers. I showed him how to take the record out, how to hold it, how to clean it, how to handle the cue arm, how to put the record on, everything. Putting the buttons on with the speakers on the... I said, you do it like this, you do it in this order, and when you're done, you put it all back. I showed him twice. I said, okay, now you do it in front of me and you show me. He did it. I said, if you want to listen to my records, you go and you ask me, and I'll let you do it, but I'm going to watch you. He did it a couple of times. He did it exactly the way that I did it. I'm really, you know, it's almost like military. I mean, stupid. Yeah, I'm a very anal with that. But he did it exactly like I said, you know what? You never have to ask me again to handle my records because I know you're going to take care of them. He was the only one I trusted. My, when I was in bands and I'd be playing my friend's $2,200 guitar or whatever, which back then was a lot of money, he'd come over to my house like, dude, get away from my record collection. I'll play it for you. Yeah, take care of them. Take care of them, they'll last you forever. Dylan, we're on to like... Yeah, I think I got all my questions. Is there anything you want to share with people that uh, we haven't brought up or anything? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you need to do your bonus question. Uh, yeah, I do. Bonus questions? Bonus. What do I win? What do I win? <laughs> Curtain number two! <laughs> Today's prize... <laughs> Do we have a bobby pin? <laughs> Who is your favorite Muppet and why? Wow, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Come on now. I don't know. I really didn't watch the Muppets. I would, who's the Oscar? The one in the garbage can. Because he was a New Yorker. He was a real... <laughs> he was just told it to you straight. He didn't deal with any BS. Come on. Oscar the Grouch, an animal. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> and in the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Who the hell would want to watch a movie on my life? <laughs> who would want to want to write a movie on my life? My life. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I, I guess the guy who would be the best bet because I was always told that I reminded people of him. 
is the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond. Brad Garrett? Yes. <laughs> because of the voice and the size and the way that I would, everybody loves Raymond. You know, <laughs> I forgot what the lie was. But just... <laughs> Fred Gwynn. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> What's a you? <laughs> Uh, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> wow. Nobody could play you. You don't want to see that movie, man. Trust me. <laughs> it's a vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You, questions I've never had asked ever in my life. Kudos. Well, thank you. Um, record Store Day is coming up. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any uh, special plans? You know, there's special releases, but do you have any special plans specifically here? We're opening at 6 a.m., and it's, it's yeah, we, we'll pick that up for people who were here in the beginning. And we don't have anything special because it's a long day, and it's just, it's a lot of energy and a lot of people, and just want to have fun. What I like seeing is I like seeing people finding what they want. You know, when I, I feel bad if I see somebody coming in that I know who, didn't get the thing that they really love and they were looking forward to. People who just show up that I don't know, who just like, oh, yeah, I just blah, blah, blah. Like, well, if I would have known that you wanted something. If I know you exist, I'm going to try my damnedest to make sure I've got enough for everybody that I know who's coming here. We're supposed to be getting stuff. And I, you may have said it, but will you repeat your address? And then the hours, like when, yeah. when you're open. We're located at Sound and Vision Vinyl. It's 3444 South Main Street, South Salt Lake. Um, we're open Monday through Sunday, seven days a week, basically 10 to 7, except Wednesday, which is 10 to 4, and Sunday, which is 10 to 2. Because I work every day, and if I'm here all those hours, seven days a week, I'll probably end up murdering somebody. <laughs> I mean, I'm already cranky enough. And we all, and by the way, if you come here on Record Store Day, Figure by 4.15 in the afternoon, I'm going to be a very cranky person. They should bring you donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Please, God, no. I mean, I mean I, 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 I'm Sicilian. I had an Italian grandmother. I look at food, I gain weight. No, I don't need that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Yeah, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it podcast is done man <laughs>